I think what people fail to do is they're like, um, they don't try enough things. If things aren't working, I'm like, try a bunch of new ads. Yeah. Spend six months on ads. Like, you know, spend two months on an ad platform. If it doesn't work, go to another ad platform. If that doesn't work, go to another ad platform. Right. Now you spend six Smart months on apps. ads, burn three uh, three platforms. It's not working. Okay, try another hero product because right. your ads aren't working, so you got to try something new. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Smart operators know that actively managing cash flow is a real unlock to increase profits. Highbeam is a banking platform built to help brands do just this. Learn how Highbeam automatically saves brands thousands of dollars through its high-yield accounts, lines of credit, and cashback cards with a personalized savings estimate at highbeam.co slash limited supply. Okay, Nick, episode nine, season five. Yep. This is going to be a Q&A episode partially, but I think there's one thing you want to get to as well. Yeah, well, I just wanted to explain one thing at the beginning because I think a lot of people will benefit from it. And then, uh, yeah, and then we've got about nine really good questions. Okay, yeah, I haven't looked at any of the questions uh, per your uh, requirements, so I'm excited to see what they are. Let's get it going. Okay, so the the, I've told you about Ramiz, right? Have I told you about Ramiz? No. Okay, so Ramiz is, um, and I'm not affiliated with this company, invested anything. There's this company called Oceans, which uh, you can hire offshore talent from Sri Lanka. Yeah. I was pretty skeptical about hiring somebody. Yeah. Hired one guy. His name's Ramiz. This guy has quickly become one of my favorite people yes. I work with. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You have he to- was, yeah. He was the former head of shopper marketing at Ogilvy in Sri Lanka on the Nestle account. And now he's basically what they call an executive assistant plus. So he's not managing calendar and, you know, kind of doing like small things, but he's also not a chief of staff. He's kind of in between there. And so some of the things he does are like, He'll run profitability reports for a uh, long weekend. He will uh, pull reports and dissect data for clients. He can take you know, a podcast we do and spit notes out that are actionable. Uh, he can take listicle copy and like duplicate a landing page, put all of it in, do the QA process, push it live. How long did it take you to train him to do these things? So initially I had a one page Notion doc where I basically listed out all the tasks that I want this person to do. And it was everything that I'm talking about, plus like uh, some level of research, you know, handling my inbox, being able to set up webinars or Zooms, and then also helping me in personal life. So like, for example, when I travel, like I just went to LA for uh, the Tatari event, he will basically give me a Notion doc with the hotel I'm staying at, the car rental, who to call if like the bus doesn't arrive to pick me up from the airport for the car rental. Then around the hotel, what are the top workout classes I can go to? Which ones are open? What are juice and smoothie spots? What are restaurants to go to? And also where are places I can meet clients just ad hoc? Wow. And he prepares all of this, you know, just perfectly anytime I have to travel. So like, let's say uh, he's like, here's the hotel that you're staying at. Yeah. Does he select the hotel? This is the problem where I have where I'm like, well, do I want to let them select the hotel? So in this case, Tatari did the hotel booking for me. However, normally what I'll do is a lot of times I book the hotel on yeah. Hotel Tonight because it's way cheaper there. Yeah. And so I'll just book it on Hotel Tonight and I'll just, he get he's in my inbox already. So he sees the receipt come in and then he'll set it all up. Then he'll email the hotel and say, hey, my boss is coming. You know, what kind of upgrades do you have available? Wow. And whatever is a free upgrade, he'll take it. So it might be like, you know, like for example, at the hotel I was at last week, 
I was supposed to be in a room that had two queen beds. And he was like, no, make it one king bed. And, you know, if I got there and did that, it might not have been available by then. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, I just thought like, uh, you know, everybody should have a Ramiz. I think you should have a Ramiz yeah, in your personal life. Amazing. You know, like I can't wait to to fly this guy in. It's also his birthday soon, so okay. So you're gonna fly. Where Where does he live now? In Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're gonna fly him into New York. Yeah, into wow. New York. Hopefully, stay here for a week. Are you gonna do the same thing for him? Here's where you're staying. Here's all the. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, this time I'll be like, here's your screenshot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, but no. Then I hired two more people from the same company. Yeah. One was a graphic designer at Leo Burnett in Sri Lanka, which is a huge ad agency. And the third one is more of like a sales engineer, sales ops person. Yeah. So they, for hooks, they manage our HubSpot, all of our outbound email, all of our like cold outreach. Yeah. And basically just make sure the salespeople have everything they need at all times. He sends like a daily sales and revenue update. But like all of these people that come, I don't know if it's from Sri Lanka or this specific recruiting firm, they show up every day. They're extremely happy. Yeah. They are extremely grateful and, you know, they do phenomenal work. Like, I would put them up against anybody here making six figures. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. But what a yeah. great experience you're having. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, yeah. I want an introduction to those guys. Yeah, yeah. I'll that. connect that you. sounds good. All right. So, we've got some questions. Yeah. These are from the Slack group. If you're not in it, limitedsupplypod.com gets you into the Slack group. So, we have a few that were, were voted highly. So, I'm going to go through those first. And then if we have time, we'll go sure. through the others. So, first one here comes from Joshua uh, Lippiner. This is for you, Moise. If you were launching Native today, given the changes in the landscape, what would you focus on? And what would the first one to two years look like compared to what you did in 2015? Not very different. I know pe people have asked me this all the time and they're like, oh, what would you do today? And I'm like, uh, you know, the world has changed in a way that has probably makes things a little bit tougher. But not in a way, like, I think people were like, oh, in 2015, it was always the golden age of ads for somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, when, uh, when we were doing it in 2015, I talked to the Harry's guys, and they're like, oh, in 2012, you know, we we're getting $4 CPAs. And then if you talk to, like, you know, I know a couple brands in 2020 that were spending nearly a million dollars a day on Facebook. I know brands today that are spending, uh, you know, millions of dollars a month on Facebook. One of them we've talked about. And so... Uh, I think there'd be uh, definitely some differences. Um, so for instance, when we launched, we were direct consumer only. We never touched Amazon. We never did influencer ads. We didn't focus on Instagram for a really long time. Uh, today, I would do a couple of those things differently. So I would launch the site. I would try and get you know, sales the same way I did through you know, organic reach, through uh, Google ads, through Facebook ads. I would encourage people to buy uh, to repeat purchase. I would get on Amazon much sooner. Last time we didn't get on Amazon until 2018. We launched a business in 2015, maybe even 2019. I probably would have gotten on Amazon sooner, not right away, because I would have wanted to make sure that I knew, like I would have wanted a communication path with my customers. Do I have a good product? Can I improve this product? Can I A/B test this product? Uh, so I would have kept doing those things still. Uh, like I would have kept it direct to consumer only, probably for the first year, maybe 18 months, and then gotten on Amazon. I'd have spent more time earlier uh, making sure that we had a presence, a brand presence on Instagram, because I think a lot of people go there today to make sure that the brand is like legitimate. Mm -hmm. It's not some crazy dropshipper in India or in Pakistan. They're like, let's make sure this is legit on Instagram. Do they, have they been up for a while? Do they have likes? Do they have comments? All that kind of stuff. 
I would have spent more time on YouTube influencers earlier on because a same for the exact same reason. I think a lot of people will be like native deodorant on YouTube. Are there any influencers talking about this? A lot far more likely to do that today than they were five years ago or eight years ago when I launched the brand. Like today, right. people are like, I need multiple sources of legitimacy. Yeah, social proof. Purchase. I think we would have done that differently as well. For the first year, there would have probably been very few uh, differences. Like try and get some sales, try and get some reviews, try and see if we have a good product. Don't worry too much about margins. Don't go balls to the walls with ads. Once we fix the product, I, you know, I would have sort of added the social proof earlier, would have gone on Amazon earlier to try and own that space as well. I think later on, there would have been more changes. I think I would have been far more aggressive about building a big brand. I was sort of like, oh, we're holding this together with duct tape, could fall apart at any time. I want to do just-in-time inventory because I don't want to outlay a bunch of capital in case the brand doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Today, I'd be more aggressive about that and been like, I, I'm willing to risk more capital, I would have been like, give me $500,000 of inventory. And if for some reason the brand fails, I'll lose $500,000, I'll lose $100,000, I'll lose $50,000, but I would have had more inventory so that I wouldn't have had to deal right. with that. And uh, I would have launched new products faster as well. Like we were slow to get out of deodorant today. I would get out, uh, I, you know, then we got into body wash and bar soap and hair care today and, uh, and, and skincare. Hair care and skincare came post me leaving Native. I think we, I would have been, uh, launched more products earlier rather than sort of been a one hit, not wonder, but like, you know, sort of had one flagship product and no accessories for so long. Yeah. How fast would you launch products today? So let me make sure I got all that right. So uh, we talked we talked about Amazon faster. Yeah. We talked about first year, very few changes. We talked about Amazon faster. We talked about more social proof faster, probably more products faster and probably retail faster as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so all of those things, because I think today you probably need to think omni-channel much sooner than you did in 2015. Uh, launching new categories, uh, how fast would I do it? I guess it would depend on like the success and plateaus of my brand. Like if I'd seen deodorant plateauing, I would have been like, let me launch this even faster. I think early on, I would have been like, if I can't find success here, I might have been like, let me see if I can get another hero product. Like if we're not getting any traction, I'd be like, let me try and get another, within three months, four months, I'd be like, let me launch another hero product to see if maybe I just don't have product marketing fit here. Right. Like, is there another, you know, if it wasn't deodorant, is it, I don't know, skincare? Like, you know, is it a vitamin C serum? Could I do this? Like, you know, is it vitamin C that I can get some traction behind? I think what people fail to do is they're like... um, they don't try enough things. If things aren't working, I'm like, try a bunch of new ads. Yeah. Spend six months on ads. Like, you know, spend two months on an ad platform. If it doesn't work, go to another ad platform. If that doesn't work, go to another ad platform. Right. Now you spend six months reps. on ads, burn three uh, three platforms. It's not working. Okay, try another hero product because right. your ads aren't working, so you got to try something new. So I think that like uh, people are like, oh, uh, I have an agency and it's not working. And I'm like, you got to try it or you got to spend a lot of effort for two months or they'll be like the exact opposite. They'll be like, I'm trying Google, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and TikTok right now. And I'm like, mm. how are you spending your time? Nobody can be good <laughs> at all of those things. Like, yeah. you want to be good at one of those and try and make that work. Right. Uh, like, any of those can work. You're just like, which one of these will work? No, any of them can work. You just need to be good at it. And you can't do that if you're focusing on five things at work right. so, uh, at once. Spend two months on, one, on Facebook. Spend two months on YouTube ads. Spend two months on Google search. I don't care which one it is. Pick one, get really good at it and say, can I make this work for my brand? If after two months, you're like, I haven't been able to move the needle, move on to the next one. If you mm -hmm. felt like, hey, look, I need a $30 CAC. It started at 80 and now it's at 50. 
Maybe you can work it down to 30 still, spend another two months on it. So I think that people aren't spending enough time thinking about what they should be doing. They're like, I tried, it didn't work, I put my hands up. I think like it's laziness uh, that generally is like the issue. Yeah. Instead of being like, I need to wake up every day and be like, my ad didn't work, I got to try this again tomorrow. My ad didn't work, I got to try it again tomorrow. Right. 60 days of that before you're like, I got to try a new platform now. It's a lot of energy and effort to make that kind of stuff work. Yeah. How do you think brands have changed between 2015 and today in terms of launch? Well, I think the main one that I was thinking of was social proof. Like you have to have a ton of social proof yeah. to even like dip your toe in the water. You know, a brand that has the best landing page with uh, amazing photography. Uh, well, photography might be different, but if you have the best landing page, the best product, but you have no social proof. Yeah, it's really, uh, tough. It's really tough to yeah, get yeah. sales. We've even had a couple clients at Hooks where we'll build them a great page, but they're not able to get sales because the second you Google the company name, like nothing comes up. And, you know, that's pretty much the first thing people do. Yeah. And you can be pretty scrappy about it too. If you're going out and getting bloggers to talk about it or people just to post about it on TikTok, you know, sending product to friends and family for reviews, you can get a decent amount of social proof without yeah. trying that much Yeah, uh, in the first 30 days. And then you turn, and then, and then I think the other thing is, you have to sort of figure out what is your messaging strategy before you start blasting it on social or on paid. Like I have this thing I call the broke man's content playbook, which is you create stuff, you put it on the short form platforms, which give you a ton of reach automatically. What are short form platforms? Uh, TikTok, Reels, YouTube Shorts. Gotcha, okay. And then whatever works there, you sort, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact same creative or, or video, but now you've validated a piece of messaging that you could go test on paid with a higher chance of success. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that's also different. And yeah, I really think social proof is like a huge piece of it. Yeah, social proof wasn't required in 2015. Especially if you're selling something over $30 or over yeah. $50. Would you launch on Amazon right away? I don't think so. I think for the same reason you said, yeah. like, you want to make sure that you can, you're confident in the way you're speaking about the product, in the way that your product is created. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure you get any of the customer service issues before, like, yeah. if you if you get on Amazon and let's say you end up doing well, but then you realize, you know, this deodorant's making people's arms turn red, you know, you have to pull on Amazon and then you're done. It's going to be very hard to get that again. <laughs> we were there yeah. Um, yeah you're right I think I would you know I think it does depend a little bit on product certainly like if I was selling a lamp and I'm like this is just a design of like yeah. does this lamp look good I'd probably still wait 60 90 days to try and get any customer service kinks out of the system like right. if I just launched a Kickstarter and I was like okay is there any issues with this let me wait 90 days to get that customer feedback and then been like okay maybe we're not shipping maybe we're shipping in a way it gets dented or there's an issue then I yeah. get onto Amazon but yeah for a product where you're like I might have to spend time iterating on that product to make it better, I might be a little bit slower to make sure I've got a product good enough to get me four stars, four and a half stars. Yeah. One of the crazy things is if you look at Native, the reviews on Amazon are actually higher than the reviews on Native's own site. And that's huh. because once we launch, a bunch of our returning customers shifted to Amazon. Oh, interesting. And so uh, the reviews, like there's a higher star score basically yeah. on Amazon than Native's own site, which is really crazy. But like, you know, that also helps. If you've got a bunch of people who really love your product, and then you like move them to Amazon, you'll do a good job of like getting really good high quality reviews yeah. and like favorable reviews early on in a way that's very white hat. Totally. Yeah, that's a good point. On a similar topic, Shayan is asking, 
how would you manage paid media for a higher ticket item? So a thousand dollar product uh, versus, you know, sub hundred dollar product. Yeah. What I would do first is recognize the difference between intent-based media versus inception-based media. Yeah. And the reason that, uh, you know, Facebook is great for a brand like Native is because you don't know that you want Native deodorant until I sort of tell you you should be buying Native deodorant. Right. And so running ads for a company like a deodorant business is great because people are like, maybe I should switch this brand up. Like I'm using this product all the time. Maybe it's not good for me. Maybe this product is better. Maybe I like the scent better. And so I've like created this inception idea in your head that, hey, you should buy deodorant. That's not true for a television, for instance. I couldn't be like, yeah. hey, buy a TV. You're not like, you know what I need is a TV in here, yeah, a mattress. And so I think it depends on the product that you're selling uh, in terms of where you should start and like how you should think about these things. If you're selling a high ticket item, there's a very good chance that it's like, you know, intent driven only. Mm -hmm. Like no one, no one's like, you know what I want to do is buy a $10,000 bicycle today. They're like, I need to be in the market for this thing to buy it. And yeah. so I think you've got to balance whether you can really, your business is sort of like intent driven or you can incept that demand. And that inception of that demand is really dependent on whether or not your brand, like, you know, whether people can make an impulse purchase or switch that brand right now or they can't. Yeah. Um, and so- you know, I think there's an element of like what product you're selling for uh, in terms of how you should think about paid media. Mm -hmm. That said, I'll go uh, 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 repeat the question one more time. Yeah. So how would you treat paid media differently for a higher ticket item, a thousand dollar product versus sub $50? Yeah, that's probably how I'd uh, treat it. The hard part with thousand dollar tickets, especially if you're launching a new company, is your CAC is going to be really high. If you're selling deodorant and you're like, look, uh, it's my CAC is $25, you're like, this ad is bad. Let me find another one where the CAC is under my, like, you know, makes sense. If you're selling a $1,000 item, you might have to spend $5,000 to see whether an ad is good or not. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, the CAC is 2500 I got two sales out of this. Out of, you know, that's not that many Even if you have four sales, you're like, is this a good ad or not? It's yeah. too early to tell. Yeah, yeah. And you've spent $5,000. And so that's the hard part is you have to have a lot more, you have to have a bigger bank account to be able to make these bets. Like you're playing at the high rollers table when you walk into a casino, if you're selling a thousand dollar item, not at the, you know, broke man's, uh, you know, blackjack table. Yeah. That's awesome. Two How would you think about that? Yeah. So two things that came to mind. One is that's so right. Like the, the higher your AOV is, the more money you need to have to play to just uh, test and see what works. Yeah which can get insanely expensive. If you're selling a $250, $300 product, you know, you have to spend like three grand, four grand just to see yeah. if a concept works. And if it doesn't, then, you know, you've just lost three or four grand. Whereas yeah, it could be way more than that too, right? Yeah. Like a thousand, like a thousand dollar item could have a $700 CAC. Yeah, exactly. And that might mean you have like, you know, and like if you're just testing, it could be like, hey, I spent $5,000, I got one sale. Exactly. The other thought is with higher ticket items, you have to like create your own audience and you have to create a problem. You know, the average person, if they saw an ad for a supplement or a deodorant, like it's it's an easier buy to get over. But, you know, if it's a road bike or even an eight sleep, right? Eight sleep is not uh, going out and finding people that are ready to buy an eight sleep. They're creating sort of like a multi-step funnel. The first is like, let me introduce you to the reason your your sleep is so bad. And then let me qualify you and let me actually introduce you to our mattress. And telemedicine brands and uh, course gurus, they both do this well. Telemedicine brands sort of have to do it because they have to get qualified through insurance. So your first funnel is basically getting somebody to qualify. 
And then the second funnel is once they're qualified, you get them to buy or subscribe. And the course gurus do it well because they say, you know, I'm selling this uh, $997 course. Come watch my webinar. Give me a lead. Watch my webinar or attend this thing for free. And then from there, I'm going to figure out who I'm going to sell to. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes for things like this. You have to like create a problem that resonates with people, bring people in, whether that's a blog post, a video, newsletter, and then you have to sell to them. If you're just trying to go out and say like, you know, go buy this product, it's really going to help you. It's going to be really hard to convince That is a great point. Yeah. You need to create a much larger, longer funnel than like, oh, you know, I can get deodorant in one step. Right. Uh, Like, I don't even need a retargeting ad. I want to be able to get you in one step. I think you're right. If I'm selling you an eight sleep, it should start with while you're struggling with sleep right now, Mm -hmm. your temperature is all off. Are you a hot sleeper? You know, like, let us tell you the problems with hot sleep. Like, if you sleep hot. Exactly. You're not going to have energy during the day. You know, you're not, you're going to be groggy. You're going to fight with your partner. Right. Then I'd be like, yeah, let me show you how you can cool down your sleep. That is great. You need more steps when it comes to that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that is a great, great point. Uh, I like the way you uh, framed that. You know, uh, there's, uh, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? He's always like, sell me this pen. Yeah. Jordan Belfort's like, sell me this pen. And so there was uh, an episode on CNN where somebody like, uh, I think it was like Pierce Morgan was like, you know, that there's a famous line where you want people to sell you a pen. Why don't you sell me this pen? And so Jordan's like the first, the real Jordan's like, the first thing I'll do is say, are you in the market for a pen? And if you're not, he's like, okay, have a nice day. The, he like qualifies them right away. Yeah. He's like, are you, are you in the market? Great. Then let me sell it to you. Right. If you're not in the market. What the hell is the point? Yeah. Why would we And so you like here, you're sort of creating that demand for getting somebody in the market because you have a much longer funnel with a thousand dollar CAC yeah. or the thousand dollar AOV. We used to uh, do this at Hint where we would, so we use Quantcast Measure on our site. We could see the interests of our audience or of our site visitors. And then we would create like blog article content on another site called The Quench. Uh, we would drive traffic there for, you know, three to five cents per click. And then people who came there that we would retarget had the lowest CAC, like I think sub $15 CAC. And when you targeted people to go to the uh, quench, did you say, uh, like my goal is just view content? Or exactly. You, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still as a conversions campaign, yeah. just the event was view, camp- uh, view it, content. Got it, got it. I love Highbeam for how simple they make it for brands to get a banking line of credit. If your brand makes over $1 million in revenue, you should never take a fixed fee merchant cash advance. A banking line of credit is a much better option because of its flat APR and flexible payment terms. Highbeam's line of credit helps brands manage their cash flow and invest in the business for long term with fair, flexible, and transparent capital. Learn more about Highbeam Capital and how fashion brand Suzy Condi reduced its cost of capital by 70% at highbeam.co slash limited supply. All right. Next question is from Terrence. Terrence says, provide a simple data. This is a lot for a podcast answer. Provide a simple data-driven playbook for scaling a brand to $1 million, $5 million, and $10 million using frameworks, KPIs, metrics, and benchmarks. Almost always, you need to find a scalable acquisition channel. There are exceptions to this. I'm not sure if you've seen this in the last couple days. Deion Sanders has been oh, yeah. Blenders. Yep. Blenders was acquired, by the way, in 2019 by some like private equity group, I think. Uh, but like, you know, Deion Sanders, and, you know, I think yesterday they did like $1.2 million yeah. in sales uh, for Blenders just yesterday. Uh, and that's great. That is amazing and hard to do. So one is get Deion Sanders. That's everything. But I think more likely you've got to find scalable acquisition channels. 
And so when I was running ads for Facebook, the things that I would look at on a daily basis, and I actually share this in the Slack channel, is I'd say, what was my spend? How many orders did I get from a UTM parameter basis? What was my CAC? What were the dollars derived from this these UTMs? And then what was my uh, you know ROAS based on that? So like, let me break that down a little bit more. My number one goal was what is my CPA? What is my cost per acquisition here? Uh, that's really what I cared about. Then I cared about what is re- return on ad spend. A lot of people will say I'd spend a thousand dollars and I did five thousand dollars in revenue, so I have a five x ROAS. Well, it turns out that three thousand dollars of your revenue or four thousand dollars of your revenue is from returning customers, and right. one thousand is from new. Yeah, that's your ROAS is one, not five. Yeah. Like you know, five sounds great, but it's one. Yeah. And so I think like uh, not enough people are honest with themselves of being like, okay, this these ads are targeting new customers. I have to look at new customer revenue to determine mm-hmm. my actual CAC. That is your North Star. If you're sort of in the game of I'm going to do paid digital media to make this brand successful, CPA is your number one uh, KPI. Mm-hmm. What was my CPA and can I increase that? Other ones get to be important after you've started your business. Like at one, for, to, to get to $1 million, the only thing I'd look at is CPI on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Once I was at Two and a half million dollars. I'd say, what does my returning customer rate look like? That's how I'm going to get to maybe five. Between five and ten, I'd be looking at what is my CPA and what is my uh, what's it called returning customer rate on a cohort basis. Those would be my two north stars when it comes to um, growing my business. Yeah, uh, but uh, to one million dollars, the only thing I'd look at is CAC. Uh, what I tell people is work on getting to five k a day in revenue. That's the hardest part because you have no idea what's working. You're trying to figure out how to get stable to 5K. Yeah. And, you know, once you get to 5K, everything becomes easier. Then it's just a game of like, all right, you've got the image. You just got to stretch it and pull it. Yeah. Uh, But getting to 5K, you're actually drawing that image that gets pulled later. Yeah. You're finding product market fit to get to 5K. Exactly. And once you get there, you're like, okay, I understand what's working. It's YouTube pre-rolls. Yeah. This one worked. Let me create a hundred versions of this exactly. and see if I can uh, scale it better. But like to get to 5K a day, you need to figure out if YouTube pre-rolls work, Facebook works, TikTok works, or nothing works. Yeah. And then, so you have to figure out the channel and also like, what is the uh, the hook mm-hmm. that gets people in? And um there's some brands that, you know, their one hook will drive them their first 10 or 50 million in revenue. And then there's others that, you know, it works in shorter sprints. But uh, I think finding the hook is the other hard part. Like no one's going to go out and buy, you know, another mattress, but they will buy a mattress that's going to help them be more energized during the day. Definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah for, uh, for our deodorant, when we were launching Native, I was like, what is this thing that's going to work? Is it fragrance? Right. Is it aluminum free? Is it paraben free? What here is the thing that people care about? Right. And it turned out for women, it was like, you know, we care about, you know, aluminum free. It was obviously clear there was aluminum free. But also initially when we launched, I was like, this, I launched a business earlier and I was like, it's all men that bought from me. I was like, men are going to be my customers here. I'm selling this deodorant to men. And in general, men had purchased deodorant in far greater quantities than women had pre-native. Yeah. Um, And then uh, as soon as we launched, like I've made all these hooks for men smells great. You're already used to aluminum free. So I didn't think you'd care. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out once we advertised to women, they're like, oh yeah, this is what we care. Like I realized the hook was women and aluminum free, not men and good fragrance. Yeah. And so we just tested, uh, you know, hooks until we got there. And 100%. I think that's right. Once you get to 5k a day, you understand what the hook looks like. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Next question is from Jeremy. Jeremy says, you guys have talked a few times about reviewing landing pages and clarity uh, which is similar to Hotjar. 
I'd like to hear more details on what kind of user behavior you look for. Simply put, how do you iterate and improve on a landing page? Well, I think you're going to know this way better than I do. Do you want to take a stab first? Uh, yeah, I asked Nick Sharma. <laughs> <laughs> I text him. <laughs> yeah. So basically, in Clarity, and I don't know if you can do this in Hotjar, but I know definitely in Clarity, which is Microsoft's yeah, Hotjar. Free version. Free. You can look at three main things, or four main things. One is user uh, heat maps. One is user scroll depth maps. So it's just like you, yep. you see the page, you can see it going from red to green. Yeah. The third is user session recordings. So you can literally yeah. see somebody's mouse and interaction yeah. on the page. And then the fourth one is dead clicks. Oh, and there's a fifth one, which is kind of like dead clicks, which is rage clicks. So get dead clicks are people clicking things that don't lead to anything, but they think it leads to something. And you want to look for concentrations of those because you're probably just missing linking a review stars yeah. or a product title, yeah. or a product image. You can see all four of those in Hotchar, by the way. Oh, okay, great. And then in uh, with rage clicks, it's like people who really think there's something there, but it's just not working. For yeah. Them. Okay. So, so it's usually like a, five times. Yeah, it's usually like a button's broken, or yeah. something like that. So the scroll depth ones are something that you kind of scan, and then you know you just need to know where where is scroll dropping off, or yeah. where do people drop off. Heat maps, kind of same thing. The real gold is in the recordings of the user sessions. And, uh, you know, my perfect Friday night is feet kicked up, uh, hot chocolate in one hand, and watching clarity sessions on my <laughs> <laughs> uh, You basically want to look for where are people yeah, slowing down. You, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to look at, like, where are people slowing down? What are they hovering over or reading in more detail than other? And then combining that with scroll depth, you know, you might see like uh, if you're if you have a listicle, for example, or a product page, and the the stuff that's getting read a lot more is three fourths down the page. Uh, you know, you want to move that up to the very top sure. because you know that that's something that gets people to want to purchase or informs their decision. And when you're watching these, are you looking more at desktop or mobile? Both, okay. but uh, usually mobile. Okay. Start with mobile. Yeah make those changes and then go to desktop and see, all right, was there anything that we missed here? Yeah. Generally desktop mobile obviously gives you a better understanding of, you know, how fast are people going through the page or what's catching people's eyes. Like one thing that we do more recently now on PDPs is we make a lot more visually stimulating content blocks, things with graphs that are moving charts, animations. Have you found that keeps people on the page longer? Yeah, because okay. it catches their eyes, so they yeah. stop scrolling. Okay. So, you know, a comparison chart is not just checks and Xs. It's got mini images or animations inside the comparison chart. Got it. Okay. So you look for that stuff on mobile, and then on desktop, usually there's more text that gets read. So you can look at, okay, what is the type of text that people are are wanting to read more of or less of? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember doing this uh, via Hotjar, and I loved, the like, you know, on desktop, you could see where people hovered over their mouse, even if they weren't clicking. Yeah. You could be like, okay, this is what they're reading because they're exactly. following along with their cursor. And you're like, this is actually getting read. Yeah. That's why I, was all, I like with uh, mobile, I was always like, okay, where do you stop scrolling? Yeah. It is way faster than you think. Yeah. Like, you know, your bottom of the page, your footer, yeah, 5% no of there. people are getting there. You know, yeah. like uh, you got to get virtually, like e as soon as you one scroll down on uh, like, you know, mobile is drops to like 50% or something. Yeah. Like yeah. it is a uh, very, very- And there's so many people too- you know, a huge majority of people click in and then leave right away. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're not that's loading that's within a second, yeah. uh, you've lost the person. Yeah. The other thing that's uh, important to look at is if you sell multiple variants of a product, 
understanding what are the flavors, the set, what are the variants that are getting the most clicks? Because you want to move that to the very left or up at the top in a dropdown. And, you know, that helps a lot too. That's so interesting that you said that. First, like when coconut and vanilla became our best, like we made it, uh, the best selling scent because it was most likely to get another, uh, most likely to get, if you bought coconut and vanilla, you were most likely to buy again from native. Yeah. So we just put a bestseller badge and made it our default. Nice. And it became the default and bestseller. Like it became the bestseller immediately by doing that. So I'd say also look at, like try and encourage people, if you're selling a consumable item, look at what what's most likely to get somebody to buy again yeah, and make that item the default one because then you're most likely to get another uh, purchase. The other thing we played around with, which really worked was, uh, and Amazon does this well, is like, first we were like, um, we had a drop down and we just write coconut and vanilla. Like we'd have all the uh, scents in a drop down. Then we created like image swatches where we're like, okay, here's a stick of coconut and vanilla. Here's a stick of lavender and rose. Like when you're buying a variable product on Amazon, you'll see that they have swatches, like images right. of the product. And we realized that that converted a lot better than just a drop down, where you had all the set names. Yeah, the swatches conver- converted better. Today, they a native uses like red. Co- uh, I'm sorry, dots of like the color being like unscented. Yeah, or yeah. being coconut and vanilla. I assume that works better. Because I would have imagined they tested that, but the swatches worked really well for us. And that was great. When we realized that, we're like, wow, these swatches convert so much better. And I think the other thing that we want to talk about is like social proof, right? Like this guy was like, what do you really need for a landing page? Was that the question? No, just basically, what are you what are you looking for when you review landing pages? Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Social proof. But social sure. proof has to be on a page. Yeah. I mean, that is like, that should be in the hero. That should be right underneath the hero. That should be again before the product page or the shop section, right after the shop section. It should basically be buried with social proof. We got a bunch of people to do like um, UGC videos at home at yeah. Native. And uh, that was super effective too, because we put them on the product page. Right. And people would just play the videos and we're like, look, here's somebody trying this product out and help. Yeah. We just launched Long Weekend. Yeah. And most of the product page is all, U- in fact, most of the site content's all UGC. That's awesome. Uh, very rarely are we using like sh- studio shots. Wow. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Follow-up question from Ryan here. Are there particular reasons we shouldn't create landing pages using Shopify or do you recommend using landing pages? I assume he means landing page builders or external website builders. At Native, did you guys uh, build all your pages in Shopify or did you use something else? We didn't use landing pages. Oh, you didn't use them at all? No. But you, you, well, you had like advertorials that you built. We had some advertorials, but generally a lot of it was just direct to PDP. Got it. Some of it was so like, blogs like we also had like you know why is aluminum bad for you yeah uh and you know during the acquisition everyone's like yeah you're gonna have to take that site down. you're gonna have to <laughs> yeah. take that article down yeah we were like you know we had, yeah they're like our our whole other business <laughs> is well, aluminum. it was we had this one comparison chart where we're like uh native no aluminum secret like you know aluminum dove aluminum native no aluminum yeah both Unilever and PNG were like, you're going to have to take this chart down when we acquire you. <laughs> I was like, this chart is obviously going to have to come down. Both of our biggest potential acquirers have been like, yeah. this is not okay. Like, yeah, yeah. You're shitting on our other product. <laughs> but yeah, I would imagine that if I were building a landing page, it'd probably be like with Unbalanced, but you you do this all the time. Like, what do you- Yeah, we, I, I personally prefer Unbalanced. It's just very easy to drag and drop everything. Yeah. And when you give hooks landing pages, people get them in unbounce and like they like it because then they can drag and drop and edit it, right? Yeah. People buy it in usually one of three. Uh, one is unbounce, which is the most common. Yeah. Second is Shopify. So we'll just develop it into their theme. Yeah. Which if you're on Shopify 2.0, it's great because you can just duplicate, drag and drop yeah. sections up and down. You can change copy and imagery. And then you also don't have the tracking issues cross domain. Yeah. 
but it doesn't load as fast as Unbounce. So Unbounce is still better for that. And then the third is Replo, which Replo is kind of like uh, Builder.io or, or Shogun, okay, but a gotcha. bit more advanced, I think. Okay, gotcha. Which one is your favorite one to you? Where you're doing most of my Unbounce. Unbounce, yeah. Okay. Although for Long Weekend, we we intentionally designed all our pages to be developed in Shopify. So we've got like five or six landing page templates built in, so we don't have to use Unbounce, but we'll see how SiteSpeed holds up. So the first version or the first three years of native was just on WooCommerce, which was yeah. built on WordPress. What's great about WordPress is it's always been drag and drop. So right. it's super easy to build pages of like, why is aluminum bad for you? We tried a page where we're like, let's make native subscription only versus native or subscription or non-subscription. Yeah. That was really helpful to understand like um, CPMs and CPAs. If we're like, if we're trying to maximize LTV and make it a subscription only product, we're like, what does our CPA look like? Right. And, um, you know, that was really helpful with WooCommerce. Shopify, I never understood why their theme, I never thought their theme was as easy as like WooCommerce. Yeah. It never was up yeah. until Shopify, Shopify 2.0. 2. Yeah. It's now it's easy to like move, but you, you, it's really just moving sections up and down, I think. Yeah. I could be mistaken, but I think it's mainly sections. It is very easy to like edit text. Yeah. And now like even on the Shopify mobile app, you can go in and change headlines or titles or whatever. That's pretty uh, Yeah, which is pretty cool. You know, I wonder how many people are like making changes to their website on their mobile phone. Like, yeah. That's- uh, It's probably good. Like I remember I've done it for a few clients when there's promo periods running. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you you're just right. You're just out and about. You yeah, just need to sure. take a sale down yeah. or whatever. All right. Next question's from Kyle. Kyle says- how should omni-channel brands think about the impact of their digital spend on their brick-and-mortar businesses, uh, especially in CPG and grocery? That is a great question, and uh, I remember uh, asking the exact same question to one of the, C uh, the one of the founders of Harry's, and I was like, "Look, we're about to launch into Target. How should we think about CPA? Because right now, I know exactly how much I spent and exactly how many new customers I have. And when we launch into Target, I'm going to have no idea how many new customers we have." And he's like. The day you launch into Target, your data will go from black and white to a shade of gray you'll never understand. <laughs> and he's right. Like, yeah. you'll never understand it. Like, you know, what is cannibalization? I thought it was going to be like 20. Per like, the reality is it depends on, you know, how many stores are you in? What lo what stores are you in? What's the footprint of the store? If you're in 250 Targets versus 1,800 Targets, you expect different amounts of cannibalization and different mm -hmm. amounts of But like, the reality is you'll never understand it. And you can survey your customers and that'll give you a little bit of clarity of being like, okay, how many of my existing customers went to Target to purchase again? But from a new customer ROAS perspective, it's virtually impossible to determine. There's not a good answer. Uh, I'll tell you this though. We did run a bunch of tests surrounding certain brick and mortar stores. Mm -hmm. I was inspired to do this because like the Tuft and Needle guys told me this. They're like, we ran tests in Phoenix and we're like, okay, we're going to put up a bunch of billboards in Phoenix no billboards in like Minneapolis. And we're like, these two cities are kind of the same size or something like, maybe it wasn't those two cities, but it was something like that. And they're like, we're gonna, everything else is the same. Like the Facebook ad spend is the same. Nothing else has changed. And we're like, we're trying to determine, do the billboards have any effect on sales in a city? And they're like, we can determine for a fact that they do. Wow. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I was like, let me try that. And I did that with Target and Instagram. And I was like, I think... Oh, like we had really clear data, but I was like, I still don't trust this entirely. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't seem like, look, there's no way that all the variables are the exact same. Like, for instance, if we did it between Phoenix and Minneapolis, 
you know what's a difference between Phoenix and Minneapolis for native? The fucking temperature. Yeah. People are going to be using way more deodorant where it's 120 degrees outside right. versus negative 20 degrees where people are like, I'm not sweating. It's fucking freezing. Yeah, they're like, here. in fact, I smell great. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and so I was like, I think we're doing this well. I think we're running these A-B tests to understand that digital advertising in this area Digital advertising is increasing sales at Target. Yeah. And we did run those types of tests where we're like, let's advertise in Minneapolis extra dollars versus Phoenix to see if does this get more sales into Target in Minneapolis than it does in Phoenix? And we're like, yes, it does. These ads work. And that's how we did it. We had A B, we A B tested different cities. But the reality is it's so gray still. So many variables can be affecting this. Yeah. Temperature, weather. Okay, you might be like, okay, well, I, let's say oh, we did Phoenix and Tucson because they're both the same. Okay, well, is it raining in one so no one's driving into stores for a week? Well, now all of your results are skewed. Right. You know, is there a sporting event going on? Like, you know, is the University of Arizona playing a big football game? That might skew, skew your events for some reason. Right. And so it was always gray afterwards. As soon as you start launching into uh, omni-channel, your data is gray. Yeah. And the best way is to constantly look at it and be like, I think this is having an effect, but like- and, you know, you can run post-purchase surveys, you can email customers, and that's helpful, but I don't have a good answer because I think that problem is a problem that vexes every brand. I think for higher ticket items, you could, uh, like, you could use this app Bridge to get, you could get, uh, you know, you buy something in store for a few hundred bucks, sign up for warranty, register your product with us, yeah. you know, get free add-ons, uh, which Quip, I think, also did a really good job of this, Quip and Harry's in target like getting you to get your second filling for free or something From like that quip.com yeah yeah exactly yeah. Um, how was quip doing i don't know actually i have no idea i feel like i haven't heard anything about quip in a long time yeah and i'm not sure if that's good or bad I, I really don't know yeah but like you know i remember for a long time they had uh like little things on every single cab in new york city yeah and now yeah now that nothing yeah yeah i feel like a lot of it too is like just gut feeling yeah like you you spend the money you look at your reports on sell through and you're like, all right, well, you know, this kind of happened two weeks after I increased spend here. So maybe that's correlated. But it also, again, there's so many factors that, you know, cater to retail. So it's, it is kind of impossible. There is one thing we did, which was we had a separate email. Like if we're like, contact us uh, through native, if you bought a, from native, uh, you got different sticks, a very slight difference. Uh, we use different email address. Oh, interesting. So we're like, if you, so you buy from a store, we know whether you bought from us or from the store. And if you bought from a store, we can be like, okay. So yeah. like the the stick email says like hello at. Yeah, exactly. And versus support at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're like, okay, we know where you bought from just by right. virtue of the fact that. But like the reality is you might just Google native deodorant customer service. Yeah, and then find the other one. And then we're fucked anyway. Right. Like right. that's why I mean that it's good. It like, you know. It's a good idea, yeah. Uh, but like in practice, hard to execute. you have no idea. Yeah, actually, it is tough because if there was a form, you could say like, "Where'd you buy your product?" Yeah, but uh, but yeah, most people don't care to fill out. They're gonna DM you or they're gonna email you. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, you know, like if I had that form, I'd be like, I write whatever I wanted. You know? Yeah, I'd be whatever's like, the first option. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was I remember there was this instance where. Somebody had bought Schmitz and somebody had bought Native and they bought Schmitz at Target. We weren't in Target yet. They bought Schmitz at Target and like they had an issue. So they went to uh, Schmitz.com and emailed them and they're like, you have to deal with this at Target. Mm. And they bought Native from us directly from our website because we didn't sell anywhere, uh, sell anywhere else. They had a problem with us and we replaced the package. And they're like, look at how great Native is. They're doing the right thing. They're replacing it for us. Schmitz is telling me to go to Target. And I was like, Damn. I was thinking in my head, I was like, 
Well, if we, you had bought our stick at Target, I probably would have told you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you just don't realize that we're not there. So like, yeah, we exactly. are the retailer at this right. point. Um, but yeah, I remember that happening. If uh, if people had problems, would you just almost instantly replace it just to avoid an upset customer? Yes. We were ready to do like one, like we'd almost always, if, if you didn't like the scent, we're like, we, we'll give you a free exchange. Yeah. And you don't even need to return the old one back to us. But we were basically like, if you're lost, if you're like, I got two cents, I hate this product, I want to return both. We're like, you get one, we say that's clearly, we're like, you get one free exchange or return. Yeah. You can't just get, be like, I want exchange, I want exchange, I want exchange, I want to return all these. Yeah. That we're not okay with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think the answer is yes, we tried to be really generous about it, but we were also like, okay, we're drawing the line at some point because we think we've done the right thing and now you're just being an asshole to us. Yeah. Back to the AOV thing too. Returns are so much better when you have a lower AOV product. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause you don't like, give a shit. Yeah. You, exactly. You're just like, okay, throw it. Yeah. Exactly. Or give it to somebody else. Yeah. But if you've got like a $250 product, you know, you want to get that back. You have to inspect it. Somebody has to let you know they've inspected it. Then you've got to email them and confirm that they're going to get a refund. Yeah. And the customer is just pissed off the whole time. Yeah. And in fact, it's even better for another reason. All of that, what you said is true, but there's even a more fundamental reason, which is if you bought a $12 price product, you don't even give a shit about returning it. You're just like, oh, yeah. oh I got to go to the post office and put this thing in an envelope, throw in the garbage. It's yeah. $12. If you bought a $250 price product. You're definitely returning it. Definitely returning it. Yeah. There's like, you know, I bought a lot of stuff where I'm like, uh, I bought the shirt and I'm never going to wear it and it doesn't matter. But if I bought like, you know, a set of speakers for my house and I'm like, I'm right. not going to use this. You bet your ass I'm going to carry that thing to UPS. Yeah, totally. Um, and so it had multiple benefits there. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all we got for today. Okay. Awesome. That was fast. Yeah, that was. I fast. love those questions, though. I love the Slack. The Slack is so good. So good. Yeah. It's so good. If you're listening and you haven't left us a review, please go leave us a review. We're at 109 as I see it right now. Wow. So let's get that to 250. If that goes to 250, I think we should give 250 people. Uh, we should buy them coffee. I love that. Or we should do like a holiday party for. Yeah, maybe we'll do a holiday party. If we get to 250. Okay, awesome. We'll appreciate you listening to episode eight. Thanks so much. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.